Well, if you brought a copy of God's Word with you this morning, I would invite you to find Hebrews chapter 10. As I mentioned earlier, we're going off script. We're doing a study of Romans, but today we're focusing in on the church, the family of God, and how you can enjoy the family of God, His church. So Hebrews chapter 10, obviously, as you can see, the words are on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. And here's what it says. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that is opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as the manner of some is, the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's the day of Jesus. That's the day he's going to return. And we have here a very loving but strong exhortation to all of us to love the church of God the family of God, to learn how to enjoy it more and more and more in increasing manner until the day Jesus returns and takes his family on earth to be with the greater family in heaven. Will you pray with me? Father, as we get going here this morning and look into your word reflect a little bit on the past and the blessings of your hand upon us, and we are so grateful. And as we look forward to the future, and we talk about what it means to enjoy the church of your son, the Lord Jesus, who is our head, I ask in his name that you would help us, help all of us, to understand how important this great institution that you erected this eternal institution, which one day you, Lord Jesus, will come back on that great day and take back to be with yourself to enjoy the greater family. I pray that everyone here would have a deeper love and appreciation of the family of God. And indeed, today, some would enjoy it, perhaps, for the first time ever by embracing the head of the church himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in him, his name that we pray. Amen. So I'm talking to this guy. It was some time ago, and I'm talking to a guy who had been, he'd actually been a part of this church, he and his wife, and, uh, but sort of just sort of flitted in and flitted out. Know anybody like that? Don't point any fingers, okay? They really never became a faithful part of the church, but they were around long enough to get to know a few people. And, you know, he had, you know, through the various struggles of life, they just kind of, they thought maybe it was time to go find another church. So we were having a conversation about it. 
And I suggested to them that, to him that he never really, he, he'd never really learned how to love the church to begin with. And he looked at me and he said, Pastor, do you know this church, there's people in this church that have problems. I said, really? I mean, he literally looked at me like I was clueless. He said, yes. I mean, there's people here that struggle with their marriage. And there's people here struggling with alcohol abuse. And I said, really? I said, how do you know that? And he kind of was taken aback. And I said, let me help you. Because we're family. That's why. And family, over time, gets in each other's business. Isn't that true? Now, I know that's not a welcome word to some of you, especially those of you that are private folk. You don't want anybody in your business, amen? Your business is your business. You like your space. You'd really like the culture, which is sort of morphing this way anyway, so be encouraged to sort of shut the doors to everybody. I was in Europe a few years ago. My brother-in-law is a missionary in Czech Republic. I kid you not, the houses are no, no farther apart than the houses here in the States, but every single, every single one of them have a fence and an electric gate. Every one of them. My brother-in-law was determined to break the trend, didn't put a gate, and was nearly robbed blind. He's got a gate up now. People living right next to each other, they don't have any clue as to who their neighbor is. There's no neighboring. That term is gone. And a lot of that has found its way into the church. And we're afraid, for whatever reason, to let people get involved in our business, our lives. And likewise, we don't want to get involved in their lives. We kind of like the idea of sitting next to the person we just flat out don't know, right? It's a little bit like the Smith family I remember reading about years ago. Wanted to get together their biography of their family to give it to everybody in, the, in their large family. And they got, you know, with Ancestry.com or whatever, and they hired a biographer, and they were doing all the, you know, the, the lineage and all of this. And, and they came across their great-uncle Charlie. He was a murderer. And he was executed in an electric chair in a federal penitentiary. And it's like, you know, they didn't want to disrupt the linkage, so they wanted Uncle Charlie to be mentioned. They just didn't want, you know, kind of, can you schmooze that over a little bit? The biographer said, no problem. I can take care of it. And this is what the final print read. Great Uncle Charlie occupied a chair of applied electronics at an important government institution. He was attached to his position by the strongest of ties, and his death came as a real shock. <laughs> there are many churches out there, and we don't want this one to be one of them, that have a great Uncle Charlie syndrome. They hide, they deny. Or they simply pretend that the issues around them don't exist. And just sort of, you know, morph through life. 
You contrast that with a woman who came to us a few months ago. And within a few weeks, she fell in love with Sailorville Church. And she came to us laden with guilt, laden with heavinesses of life. She'd been forgiven. She was a child of God, but she just had all kinds of consequences and problems and issues. And she said after a couple of weeks, she said, I was convinced this is where I need to stay. And I said, why? And she said, because I know here I'll be accepted. Listen to this. Not because she could hide from her troubles, but because she could be loved in her troubles. Not at a bar named Cheers, but in a family called the Church of Jesus Christ. The church is the family of God. And we focused on that at the beginning of last year. The church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth of God. And Paul describes the church of God in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 as the very household of God. That's family terminology, isn't it? Sure it is. The church is the family of God. And for what it's worth, like it or not, messy as it is, Family knows each other's business. This is God's house. And he wants you to learn how to enjoy it for all of its foibles, just like you love your own family. Anybody here have a family that's a mess? Every hand go up, up, please. There's a mess somewhere, I guarantee you. And I want to tell you from this passage we just read how you can experience, as many others have, the joys of God's family. Some of you are outsiders looking into the family. I'd love to see you come in. Others are here, but you're sort of morphing through with that, you know, great Uncle Charlie syndrome going. I want to encourage you to love the God who loves the mess. We had a great year in 2013. Would you agree? Here's just a snippet of what took place. Many a dream has died Like a tree planted by the water We never will run dry So living water flowing through God, we thirst for more of you Fill our hearts and flood our souls With one desire Just to know you and to make you known We lift your name on high Shine like the sun, make darkness run and hide We know we were made for so much more than 
my father's heart Into the world we're reaching out To show them who you are So living water flowing through God we thirst for more of you Fill our hearts and flood our souls With one desire Just to I can watch that about 50 times. Because every one of those baptisms represents the very first point I want to make in this short message to you this morning about how you can enjoy the church of God. And that first point is by entering the family of God by faith. Every one of those individuals who were baptized did so as an outward expression of what God has done in their lives in this last year. And he's saved many people. He's still saving individuals. Some of you are still contemplating this 
most important decision to place your faith in Jesus. And baptism is just that, that beautiful picture. And it's wonderful to be able to enjoy that picture on a regular basis around here, is it not? Amen. Well, the Apostle Paul, I'm sorry, I think Paul wrote at least was at least in part responsible for Hebrews. That's neither here nor there. The writer definitely wants us to catch some very vivid imagery here. When he talks about entering into God, he uses a lot of Old Testament sacrificial imagery. Look at it, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, and I'll come back to that word, to enter the holy places that would have invoked images of the tabernacle, the holy place, and the holy of holies, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That would have created the image that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. The curtain being his body, his flesh. And verse 21, since we have a great priest, that would have invoked the image of the high priest in the Old Testament. Over the house of God, that's Jesus. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That would have invoked the priestly system. They're constantly washing, constantly dunking themselves between this and that. All of this was to invoke the image of the Old Testament to those readers. They were mostly Jewish that were reading this epistle. And they would have thought about Leviticus chapter 16, where God says, don't anybody go into that Old Testament, that tabernacle, just any time, but only the high priest could go in. And that only once a year. He would take the sacrifice he, that was done at the brazen altar. He would travel through the tabernacle, into the holy place, through the holy place, behind the curtain, once a year, sprinkle the blood, and get out. Because you only got in there once a year. And with that, there was both hope and discouragement. Hope, there's access to God. It's got to come through blood. But we got to do this whole thing again, all over again next year. And so there is discouragement. Because God and the whole system was set up to create, to show us the barrier between God and man. And you need a sacrifice to get to God. But even then, it was just sort of temporary and it just wasn't, it was more of a shadow. And then along comes Jesus, who said it is finished when he died on the cross. And when he shed his blood, he gave us, Romans chapter 5, access to God, anytime access to God, which was a very nice thing for him to do, by the way. Removing that barrier, bringing those who have placed their faith in him into the very family of God. His blood can truly cleanse. His death and resurrection truly opens the door to heaven. If you look at verse 21, it says, I'm sorry, verse 20, but but Jesus, by the new and living way, he opened to us uh, through the curtain that is his flesh. Powerful imagery there. Notice it says new and living way. The word new there, that's the only time it's found in the Bible. The word new in the English, there's an English, you know, we have the word new several times in our English Bibles, and that's a different Greek word. This word is only used one time in the whole New Testament, and it literally means, are you ready for this? 
It literally means freshly slaughtered. So that's referring to Jesus who was slaughtered for you and for me. What else would you call hanging a man on a tree, on a cross, but a slaughter? But, it's, but notice it's both death and resurrection. The new, the freshly slaughtered, and living way. There's the resurrection. And that's what opens up heaven's door and lets us get through the curtain. That is, is by the curtain would have invoked that envision of the holy place. And when Jesus died, the Bible says the curtain was ripped from top to bottom, opened up, exposing the holy of holies, thus giving you and I access to God. Listen, if you want to enjoy the family of God, then you do so by entering by faith. And you can have confidence to do that, by the way. Did you see where it says we have confidence in verse 19? That word means freedom of speech. We love our freedom of speech as Americans, right? That freedom of expression without fear of reprisal. But let me tell you something. That freedom of speech, which was won by the blood of now dead patriots, is nothing compared to the freedom of speech, of the access that we have to God by the blood of a living Savior, Jesus Christ, that he gives us. This can be your confidence, to walk right in. I mean, does anybody just walk into your house? You'd say, no, not unless they're, say it, family. You place your faith in Jesus. You enter into the church, the family of God. You have access anytime. And you walk right in. Because Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father, what? Except through me. Here's a second way in which you can enjoy the family of God. And that's by embracing the family promises. Just one verse. Look at verse 22. Let us draw near. I'm sorry. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is, say it, faithful. Now, the exhortation to hold to the promise, the family promises of God is one thing. But the reason we can do it is because God is faithful. Every parent here knows the importance of being good for your word when you make a promise to your kid. I mean, if you say maybe, that's a promise, right? And yet, many of us don't trust the promises of God. If you and I struggle with our promises that we keep to our kids, know this, God is faithful to keep his promises. All the promises in Christ are yes, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians rather, Chapter 1, they find their yes in Jesus. You can trust them. And every week through 2013 and now into 2014, we have taken you through series and books of the Bible, be it Romans or be it Haggai or be it a topical study of those difficult passages in the life of Jesus to us. And we 
continue to lay the promises of God at your feet. We told you about them. We instructed you in them. We declared them to you. And we urged you to embrace those promises. Truly believe them so that you can live confidently before God in the family of God. Paul said to Timothy, preach the word. In season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all, with patience, long suffering, and good sound teaching. Why? Because there's coming a day when people won't endure that. And we're there, we're in that day. People don't want to hear sound doctrine. They don't want to hear truth. Well, they want to hear some truth, just not too much. Don't, don't tell me that I have to know truth, that I have to be accountable for it, or I have to make somebody else accountable for it. But let me tell you something. You and I, we live on promises if we know Jesus. The family lives on promises. We live off the promises. We walk by faith, not by... by Faith in what? Faith in faith? No. Faith in promises. Truths given to us by God that we accept and that we embrace. Am I right? That's what we do in the family of God. And I'll tell you something. That video we just watched had no funerals in it. Did you notice? But it should have. If we were honest, we should have put the funerals in there. Let me tell you something. The promises of God never ring more true than at a funeral. And when I'm looking at a dead body in a hospital, and that family's gathered around me, it's not going to do them any good. For me to say, well, he had a long life. He was a good guy. He was a good husband. Doesn't that just ring dull? How about, he will live again. How about, Jesus Christ who died and rose again has promised that because he placed his faith in Jesus... He will be resurrected someday. That's a promise I'll cling to. And when you're standing over a dead body and that family is gathered around, they need a promise. They don't need a bunch of pleasant platitudes about his nice life. I know because I've done a few funerals of those who didn't know Jesus this past year. I had somebody very dear to me, a neighbor, in fact. She died. She was in her 90s. She lived a long life, longer than most of you will live. Her husband died a couple of years earlier. I was out of town, or I'd have done that funeral too. They asked me to do it. I'd shared with them many, many times, and they never embraced the promise of the gospel. They just didn't. They didn't have any time for it. She didn't have any time for it. When her husband died, I pleaded with her to place her faith in Jesus. But she just looked at me with a blank stare. Oh, she did point out the fact that when her husband died the night before, he was a big clock guy. He had beautiful clocks all around the house. And one particular one that he wound up every day, he wound it up every morning or it would probably stop later on in the day. But she said, I just got to tell you, Pastor Nemers, about what, I mean, it was the strangest thing. This clock stopped at 1.30 in the morning last night. I said, oh, okay. She goes, well, that's what time he died. I said, oh. Yeah, that's weird. 
that I was able to look at her and say, my dear, your clock's going to stop too one of these days. And you have no hope, you have no promise to cling to. And even after all of that, she never embraced the promise of God. So when I was standing at the funeral with the family, I could not give them any hope about her. I could give no promises for her. So I focused on the promise that they could embrace because they were still alive. That's the reason why Solomon said, it's better to be in the house of mourning than the house of feasting because this is the end of all men and the living will take it to heart. So I gave them hope, though there was no hope for her. If you want to enter into the joy of God's family, you need to do so by faith and embrace the promises of God. Here's the last thing I want to share with you. As we enter into 2014, if you want to enjoy the church of God, the family of God, you'll do so by hanging out with the family as often as you can. I don't know any other way to put it. You know, these, you know this scripture. And let us, verse 24 and 20, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not neglecting, assembling together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. Encouraging one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. How can you enjoy God's family? By hanging out with the family as often as you can. Now, that seems kind of weird to even say that, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't it seem weird to, to, to think that you have to tell a family to come together? I mean, don't you like to hang out with family, even if it's all screwed up? You like your family, right? It shouldn't it be natural? If a member of the family doesn't want to hang out with the family, there's something wrong with that member. They either don't have a good understanding of what family is, or some unresolved conflict has occurred. Maybe some sin which makes them ashamed to show up. When he says, and let us consider one another. See that there in verse 24? The word consider is a word which means to look. I'm sorry. It means to think down upon. doesn't mean to look down upon. It means to think down upon. That's literally what the word means. It carries the idea of thinking deeply about what's going on in the other person's life. Well, how are you going to know what's going on in the other person's life unless you're hanging out with them? Right? Am I right? It means to take deep thought toward the plight of others, their needs, their hurts, their troubles, their sins. This is why Paul said to the Galatians, 
If anyone is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore. The word means to handle with real care. Restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself. This is what it means to consider one another. You can't consider one another unless you're around one another. Haven't you been in venues like this where you can look around and and not know anybody? And the person right next to you, they, they may be hanging on by a thread and you have no clue. But in the family of God, the church of the living God, it shouldn't be that way. Oh, it's a large church, and it makes sense that we don't know people that are visiting, coming and going. But in the process, and by your faithfulness, and as you hang out, you get to know people. And you get into their business, and they get into yours. And that gets messy, right? The church is a mess. It's a mess. But God loves the mess. God says, give me the mess. I'll take the mess. Why can't we? Now, I've had lots of kids. And now I have lots of grandkids. And there's two things that kids and grandkids do all the time. They eat and they make messes. They eat and they make... I mean, my wife can have that place looking spick and span. And as soon as they bound through the door, within five minutes, the place is a catastrophe. And, you know, we're picking up stuff. We're taking a half hour to pick up stuff after they're gone. Some of them are a little better at picking up their messes. Others just leave them. Can you imagine Grandma calling them uh, this week and saying, you know, your son can't come over this week. My grandson can't come over this week because he left the fire truck and the, and the Hot Wheels out for the third straight time. He ain't coming over. Ludicrous. I'll take the mess. God takes the mess. He'll clean it up. My wife and her sister were looking down the steps here the other day, and there was a big old mess down there. One of our kids had left. Her sister says, leave it till the morning. My wife says, I think I'll pick it up. (laughs) Guess what grandmas do? Let me tell you something. Some of you are a mess. Some of you are messier than others. And you feel kind of ashamed. You feel like you don't deserve to be here. You feel like, well, I'm all screwed up. Welcome to my world. Welcome to the family of God. God will take your mess. And we will too. He loves you. We'll love you too. Not to give you some, you know, carte blanche to continue to live all screwed up and sinful. If your mess is sexual or moral in some other way, maybe your mess is some addiction. Maybe your mess is just pride. Maybe you're a proud individual. What do you do about that? Well, you you know, here in the church, we just let it go. No, we don't. That's not what the passage says. Let us think upon individuals in order to stir up love and good works. I love the old King James, in order to exhort them unto love and good works. That's the idea. It means to irritate. Don't you love to be irritated? I've been accused of irritating a few times. 
But if I'm irritating unto love and good works, that's a good thing. So we'll take you in your mess, if you'll take me in mine, and we'll love each other. And we'll stir one another up, even if that means a little rib once in a while, right? And a little irritation. I mean, do Christians have quarrels? Yes, they do. Do families have quarrels? Do you ever have a fight in the family? Are you kidding me? The worst fights I've ever had have been with my wife. But I got to go to bed with her. So we make up. And we love each other. And we go on. And we grow. How much more the church of God. This is why I love the line of Warren Wiersbe's line. If I have a quarrel with the church, it's a lover's quarrel. Which makes the meaning, by the way, that thought makes the meaning of the next word all the more interesting to me. It says, not neglecting the assembling of ourselves. Underline that in your Bible. Not neglecting, not forsaking. Do you know what that word forsaking means? Neglecting means? It means to leave in the lurch. To leave in the lurch. It means... To hold, it basically means to uh, stand somebody up. That's the idea here. When you don't assemble regularly, hanging out as often as you can with God's family, you leave the church in the lurch. You're standing them up. And some of you understand this. This is going to be kind of convicting to you because your whole, your whole MO is to flit in and flit out. And every once in a while, you know, if I make it every, you know, you know, if I make it, you know, on a fairly regular basis, whatever, whatever inconvenience comes into my life, I'm out of here. And you wonder why you feel sort of on the edges of the family. I urge you not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. I get it. It'll always be that way. It doesn't have to be that way with you. You want to enter into the joy of God's family? Hang out with the family as often as you can. And you'll be blessed. But some of you are still outsiders looking in. And you're thinking to yourself right now, I want to be in the family but I'm outside of it. You've heard nothing today but the truth that God has paved the way for you through Jesus. He's made access for you. The door is open. Place your faith in him today and be saved. And for the rest of us, ask yourself some hard questions. These promises, do you really believe them? Do you really embrace them? The family of God, is it really precious to you? Is it something you're willing to make a commitment toward? So that you can get to know people, yes, and every once in a while trip over into one another's business. Well, imagine that. That's what happens when you get to know family, right? And you do it so that you can help them, they can help you, and we keep doing this, and we get better at it until the day when Jesus returns. 
Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this opportunity to bless your name and lift up the church of Jesus Christ. I ask, Holy Spirit of God, that you would be speaking to everyone in this room in some particular way right now and give them a willingness to respond in a way that will be pleasing to you. We pray in Christ's name, amen.